Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. A quote from George Washington. The harder the conflict, the greater the triumph. Something for you to keep in mind while you're out there doing the work of self-improvement. The harder the conflict, the greater the triumph. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to the Last Symptom Podcast. My name is Brian Barnett. Many of you know that uh, I was on vacation at the beach for the past couple weeks, something I feel really grateful to have been able to do. You know, I went a decade without being able to do anything like go on vacation, so I certainly don't take it for granted now when I get to do things like that. It was a really nice time, but uh, I'm glad to be back in my own space and have the comforts of my own stuff all around me. I'm sure you know what that's like. Today is the fourth and final chapter of my discussion with some of those who have taken or are in the process of taking the last symptom, fundamentals, pre-recorded intensive course. It's an intensive program that I offer, which is informatively superior to any programs out there like DBT. So I did these interviews as a way to help those who might be on the fence about taking the last symptom fundamentals course uh, to help them gain some insights about what the course can offer. Before we get into the final interviews, there are two things I want to do first. Number one is tell you about thelastsymptom.com. And uh, the second thing is to relate a detailed dream to you that I really did have, so I'm not making it up. Uh, and it's a dream that I had while I was on vacation. And I woke up that morning and I said, wow, I got to write this down because it's just, it's just chock full of imagery and probably meaning as far as what's going on <clears throat> in my brain. So I'll do that in a second. I'm going to share that with you. But for now, let's cover the thing number one that I wanted to accomplish starting off. TheLastSymptom.com is my website full of free resources. Please take advantage of the free resources that I make available. You know, the show you're listening to right now is one of those free resources, and I spend much time and preparation and hard work getting a show out to you folks every week that will both entertain and educate so that your life can be better for it. Also, to date, the Last Symptom Facebook Education Group has been a tremendously effective free resource that takes a lot of my time, attention, and energy. This is not your typical Facebook group, folks. I know because I'm a member of various groups. The Last Symptom Facebook Education Group is high, high quality. An enormous library of constructive and productive conversations with a focus on authentic recovery from emotional disorder. If you are not a part of the group, I invite you to join by searching Brian Barnett colon the last symptom. Now, if you don't have a Facebook account and if you have no interest in Facebook, I don't blame you one bit. 
So I will tell you now that I have been looking for realistic alternatives that would not end up in me losing half of my group members in the process. But I'm just telling you now that there are some things that I'm playing around with and there may be some announcements soon about something related to this. Particularly, I'm currently playing around with a website called Locals. Locals. L-O-C-A-L-S. And I gotta say, I am seriously impressed so far with the Locals platform. It's it's like if Facebook were full-featured and classy. <laughs> no kidding. It's it's like the difference between staying in a Red Roof Inn for 40 bucks compared to staying in a Hyatt Regency for 200 bucks. Now, you wouldn't think a social website could offer such an upgrade, but I'm telling you, so far I am genuinely impressed with Locals. You can go ahead and join the Last Symptom officials, uh, official Locals community if you'd like, but I want you to know that I haven't even completely gotten the page built like I want it to be yet, and I'm still learning how to use the platform. So, uh, you know, there I'd like to get familiar with it a little bit better and um, figure out, you know, just what it offers me in my work before I really roll out the red carpet. But, um, you know, since I've, I've already mentioned it, if you want to join, you're welcome to do that. I believe you can find it pretty simply with the address, thelastsymptom.locals.com. Now, I will also warn you that in order to offer such a clean, highfalutin experience, the Locals business model is not built on ads or on collecting your private information like Facebook is. Instead, the way I assume Locals gets their revenue is by creators charging for certain types of content. And then Locals gets a percentage of that. So the creator gets to determine which content to only make available to paid supporters. And then, you know, he can make, he or she can make uh, much of the content free. But then every once in a while there'll be some kind of paid content uh, that's only available to paid su- supporters. So I realize that that may be a turnoff to some. But uh, the benefit, and really the payoff for that arrangement, is that, as I say, there are no ads, your private information isn't farmed, and most importantly, for me, some powerful psychological body can't have me censored or have my account locked or anything like that simply because I'm critical of them or because they aren't smart enough to see how the things I'm teaching people are accurate. If you'd like to support my overall body of work with a donation, you can do so right at thelastsymptom.com. And I want to thank those of you who contributed this week very, very much. It really means a lot to me, and it allows me to enthusiastically (laughs) do what I do rather than dragging around seeming like uh, the things I'm doing here are too much like work and uh, me acting like I got a hair in my biscuit. The few minimal paid services I offer are one-on-one phone conversations with me, one-on-one Zoom meetings with me, and finally, and perhaps most importantly, the last symptom, fundamentals, intensive, two-week, pre-recorded video course, which I already mentioned once and we'll be hearing more about today as the show goes on. Now, let's uh, get on to this dream I mentioned to y'all. This is a real dream I had while I was at the beach. And when I woke up, it was so vividly stuck in my memory that I decided to jot down the details as fast as I could on my phone before any of it could have a chance to fade. Why am I sharing it with you? Well, I don't know. Uh, For fun, I reckon. I don't personally put a lot of stock in dreams, and I, I personally 
don't believe they are indicative of anything supernatural or anything like that. But I do believe that some dreams, not all but some, are reflective of what is going on in a person's mind as far as you know, subconscious worry or stress or, or even joy and things of that sort. So telling somebody else a dream you've had can often reveal a lot about some of the inner parts of that person, you know, their worries, their strengths, their personality, and etc., etc. Anyway, just take this as something fun and different, and I'll be curious to hear what sort of feedback I get as far as any insights you folks might have about what the dream implies that I might have been trying to sort out in my head when I had it. Just remember, if you think there are certain supernatural elements to the dream or anything like that, I don't share your thinking there. So you probably uh, don't want to take time to write me up a big supernatural explanation about my dream to send to me because I, I won't receive it with any seriousness, you understand. And that's not a slight against you. I'm just being honest that it won't get taken seriously by me. But, you know, I, I'm not criticizing your own beliefs or perspectives there. I'm simply saying that I don't share share them. So, are you ready for this dream? Here we go. My dream from December 23rd, 2020. Myself and many other people with me are at a water park of sorts where there are are featured crocodiles and other reptiles that guests can casually interact with. There's a large lake as well as pools and fountains and other attractions everywhere. I have entered a large tower of sorts. It stands high above the lake below. The top of this tower is like a lighthouse. I have no obstruction to look out from the glass that completely encircles the top portion of this tower and which allows me to see all of the surroundings. This large tower has a foundation that allows for it to swivel and rock about in the wind, almost like a ride of sorts. The effect of this is I'm standing alone in the top of this tower and looking all around the park is a, a sense of vertigo but also a sense of great thrill as the tower swivels in different directions with me up in the top uh, inside of it. A boy who is apparently a friend of mine is down below on the ground. I've parted from him and the others to go up into this tower by myself I see him harnessing himself to a small, free-flying glider with a large wingspan that is clearly one of many attractions at this park. Once his glider gets into the air and picks up momentum, flying it properly requires him to reach out and grab the tip of the wing and pull it back toward himself against the wind like somebody sailing a boat. This causes him to pick up speed and swirl in great fast loops around the tower that I am standing in. Every once in a while, he breaks free from this large looping flight around the tower and swings outwards over the lake before returning and going back into this looping pattern. I'm following this dizzying but thrilling flight with my eyes. Suddenly, a small skeleton airplane, meaning that it's simply made of piping and bare-bones materials, but has a small motor powering it, comes zooming by, and I see the boy get excited. He quickly lands the glider that he's in, no longer satisfied with it. Now he wants to fly in one of these small skeleton planes. From the top of the tower, I watch him race to rent his own, and suddenly he also is zooming around in one of these skeleton planes. But he's reckless 
and I'm expecting him to collide with the other plane that I saw earlier. I feel a sense of doom, and I'm certain that I'm going to see a terrible accident happen here that is entirely out of my control. As I consider this doom, I realize there are many people here at the park being careless in their fun. I have no control over them, but I understand the nature of people and carelessness. It seems it is only a matter of time until there will be a sickening disaster of some sort, and I'm dismayed about this because it could be avoided. The dream skips ahead to near sunset. The day has gotten long in the tooth. Myself and other people that I'm with, including the owners of the water park, are now lounging in the water, caught up in deep conversation. The boy who was flying the glider earlier is now reclining in the water, as we all are, and he is caught up in deep but casual conversation with the owner of the water park. The rest of us are simply reclining or lounging and listening to the conversation go on. I notice that while the boy is talking, he's reclined against a large, live crocodile. The crocodile is one of the park's attractions. And this boy is casually hugging and nuzzling its great head. And the crocodile is moving its head around with this, seeming to enjoy it, sort of like a house cat does when you're stroking it absentmindedly. I see the boy's hand dangerously close to the crocodile's mouth, and I'm not feeling too good about it. I finally speak up and I say, You need to be careful, he's going to end up biting you. And sure enough, it is at that moment the crocodile, almost tenderly, grabs a hold of the boy's thumb with its mouth, and the boy struggles to get it free. By the time he does, the end of his thumb is completely mangled. I have now had enough, and I get up to leave. Somebody needs to get this crocodile out of here, I say. He's been doing this to people all day, and indeed, at an earlier part of the dream, something almost identical had happened with this same crocodile, which I can't remember the precise details of. I leave the others and I walk up some steps that take me inside what reminds me of a large shared beach house. As I'm moving about inside, I drop a small tin container that hits the floor and opens and the contents spill out. This small tin container contains cotton balls, which in real life I often use as tinder for starting fires in the woods. And it also contains various large and small fish hooks mixed in with the cotton balls. Again, in real life, these are the actual contents of a small survival kit that I carry with me when I go into the wilderness. I now have to pick these fish hooks up off the floor. I don't want anybody stepping on them. And because of the setting, there are many people walking around wet and either barefoot or in flip-flops. In the other room, behind a closed door, I can hear my last symptom podcast playing through the door. And I know that on the other side of the door, in the room, is my lesbian Aunt Rachel with her girlfriend in there listening to the show. They haven't made an appearance in the entire dream, but for some reason, I simply know it is them in the other room. And I sort of shrug and... I'm content with the fact that she's listening to my program. A little girl comes in from outside where the boy has just had the tip of his finger mauled by the crocodile. I'm still bent over picking up the cotton balls and very carefully returning the fish hooks to the Altoids tin in my hand, doing my best not to get jabbed by any of the barbs. The little girl who has come in from outside is acting strangely. I now grow suspicious 
and leery of this little girl and in fact of her whole family. Something is subtly off about them. I suspect that they are not human and that their true purpose for being present is not benign. I'm still picking the fish hooks up off the floor gingerly. Because the little girl, quote unquote, is barefoot, I am trying to finish the job before she ends up stepping on any of these hooks. She tells me she wants me to come outside. I tell her I have to finish what I'm doing first. But she's insistent. With an emotionless tone, she tells me she and her quote-unquote family miss me. They want me to come outside and say goodbye. Apparently, when I went inside this beach house, I went inside to pack my things to leave for good. The little girl asks for a hug, and although I have suspicions that she's not human, and that she is some other type of being disguised in the form of a little girl, I give her a hug anyway. I then finish picking up the hooks, I uh, pick up the cotton balls, I close them up in the tin, and I head with her out toward the door to go back outside with the others to the water park to tell her quote-unquote family goodbye. That's the dream. So many elements to that thing, right? Well, that's that's why I wrote it down because I said, man, I want to I want to study this for a little bit later and I don't want to lose any of the details. So, anyway, just something for fun there and I'm looking forward to seeing what you folks uh, you know what your reaction to it is. Let's get into today's show. Uh, as with the uh, three previous parts to this series, I'm not going to come in at the end to close the show or anything, so allow me to wish you a very happy week. Now, while I've got the opportunity, I wish good things for you all, and I do not want you to neglect your responsibility. Truly, it's a responsibility that you have toward yourself to be compassionate, patient, and kind with yourself and to do something nice for yourself this weekend uh, while at the same time not being permissive or simply making excuses for bad behavior or anything like that. So please be good to yourselves and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Here's today's show, the, the fourth and final part of the Last Symptom Fundamentals participants that we have the privilege of hearing from. You know, you're the PTSD and the... Well, that's why I got into that discussion is okay. because you, you're talking about the professional community skewing things and, and equating things. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing they do, believe it or not. I, I get people say, oh, so what's uh, what's the difference between BPD and PTSD? You know, there are some really amazing intellectuals who say they're the same thing. Well, I know I've had BPD. I know I've not had PTSD. I know my grandfather did have PTSD. I know my grandfather did not have BPD. So I don't care what the intellectuals say. I know that what I have has nothing to do with what my grandfather had. And I I can sit and I can analyze the two things and realize that one is a physical problem. One is an emotional problem. I had the emotional problem. My grandfather, when I can't set off a firecracker, near his house that's a physical problem now i should say mental illness is that an emotional problem or is that a physical problem yeah it's physical it is because if if your brain is not functioning correctly that's a physical problem isn't it borderline personality disorder is not a physical problem now i'm not a ptsd expert but i know that it is not some poor education, poor emotional education about the nature of feelings, self, and life, if it can happen to my grandfather when he's 20 years old in Europe, right? His experiences in the war did not change everything he knew 
about the nature of feelings, self, and life as he had known them for 20 years. It didn't happen that way. So it has to be a physical fear response. Now, let's go to Tracy. She's biting her bottom lip there. I can see it. Tracy, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to give these guys a little insight into your book. The character in Tracy's book, which was very hard for me to read because I'm a father to a little girl, goes out one day, a very nice man in a limousine starts talking to her, asking for directions. He abducts her in a very smooth way and then sexually assaults her. And then the character lives with that shame for many, many years, many years. And after I read Tracy's book, I sat my daughter down and I had a very, very frank discussion with her. Uh, so Tracy's book was very beneficial to me as a father. I just want folks to know the, the privilege that they have right now. Can, the privilege is mine. I did not properly introduce her. Tracy Stoppler is the author of the award-winning novel, The Ropes That Bind. She's a registered dietitian with a Master of Science in Nutrition from New York University. The director of Nutrition ETC, Inc. in Plainville, New York. And she's an adjunct professor at Adelphi University. Tracy lives on Long Island with her precocious eight-year-old Havanese, Bina. Is, did I correct? Bina? Bina? Bina. It means okay. understanding in Hebrew. Okay. Go, go ahead, Tracy. The floor is yours. I'm, I'm going to go pee and I'll be right back to, to listen. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I'm still, I'm still halfway through your program and I'm, and I'm looking forward to finishing it before the new year. Um, and I am just so grateful for everything that you are sharing. Tracy, it's just, uh, you know, I'm very honored that, to, to even have any kind of connection with you at all because you, you have really experienced some things in life that, I mean, who, who can talk about those sorts of things? The, the people who can don't, and so the people who do are few. You're one of those. You've lived a, a refined life. Um, in academia, and I often rail against academia. And here you and I, we've made this uh, pact. I, I, I can't tell you how much I love you. I loved your book, The Ropes That Bind. There were things that you and I talked about that I disagreed with. But as far as uh, a therapeutic uh, tool for, for you to get these things worked out, it was wonderful. I don't know about you guys, but when I think about academia, I think of arrogance. There's nothing arrogant about Tracy, not at all. She would never have read my stuff. She would never have reached out to me. We wouldn't be friends now. If there was even an iota of arrogance in her, there is not. This is a woman who has been a teacher for a long time. She's an adjunct professor for a major university, and she finds O'Brien Barnett crawling out from his rock out of Appalachia. And she says, I, I'm going to learn from this guy. I've learned things from Tracy too. When I read her book, there were so many insights I had. Tracy, you asked me what benefits I had gained from your book, what kind of insight benefits I had gained from your book. It was this. It put to test everything I was telling people. And it made me reevaluate some of my wording and some of the ways that I needed to be more specific, because like, for example, in your case, the advice that I would give to people with borderline personality disorder is not the same advice I'd give to a person who I think is going through PTSD or experiencing PTSD. And people might think that, that I'm providing the same advice to, to both groups of people. Uh, there were just so many things. I mean, really, when I read your book, there were so, you know, as a father myself, to a little girl, <laughs> she's five. God, that there were some parts that were just real hard to get through. I didn't want to read your book, not after the first chapter, because that first chapter was just brutal. Yep. What that character went through, and I don't know 
how dead on that was with the actual experience, but. So it's really interesting because in the original version, that first chapter was somewhere in the middle. And it was my editor that said to me, oh, no, 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 this needs to be first. And I thought, if it's first, no one's going to read it. And she said, no. If it's first, they will fall in love with the little girl and they'll want to know what happens and they're going to want to root for her. So mm. I trusted her. But I just want to let, um, because some, some of you have mentioned that you are survivors and I just... I would just like to give statistics so you know how not alone you are. One in four women and one in six men have reported being sexually abused before the age of 18. That's one in four women and one in six men report having been sexually abused before the age of 18. So this was based on statistics of maybe they were in therapy as adults that now report after the fact because most children don't report. They're too afraid. So the statistics don't come out until years later. And that's part of the problem. I also want to report because this is very important. I was abused by a stranger and that is only about 7% of the cases. The statistics show the greater problem. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to make any of you feel uncomfortable, but the greater problem the 93% is someone that we know, love, and trust. And that's also why we learn to stay quiet because some of those people somehow are providing our bills and they say, well, if you tell, I may get in trouble, but so are you. And you might be mm -hmm. out on the street. So there are tactics that they use. And um, Brian, am I allowed to, I-, I, I You're I allowed really to do anything. Not, okay. there's, no, there's no allowed or not allowed. You do what you wanna do. So guys, if you want, I, I did a TED talk and the TED talk, it just, just Google my name, Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, Stopler, S-T-O-P, L-E-R, and there is a 14-minute TED Talk. I don't know if you're familiar with TED Talks. Eve, you're, you're more common. And yes, it can be your... <laughs> oh, I got it now. Um, yeah, you guys are so cute. Um, Brian, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm going to sleep really, really well tonight. I, I just really am, because... I know talking about this, Brian, just like you doing the work that you're doing, it gives you a sense of purpose. And I just wanna share how I found you. Um, I was actually researching for my next book, a novel, not real, a novel on schizophrenia. So I Googled it and, and Cura came up. I didn't even know what that was. And I saw um, borderline personality, the initials BPD, which I didn't know what it was either. And I actually I, thought it was bipolar. I had it and I didn't know what it was. <laughs> but I thought it stood for bipolar. And at that time I thought maybe I have bipolar. I, I just knew there was something going on. So I read Brian's answer to borderline personality. And I just thought, wow. They're just, wow. So I wrote to him, but Brian, I don't remember what I wrote to you, but he responded so professionally right away. And, um, and I, and you know, you the thing is, Tracy, I get so many emails and half of them like, go fly a kite, go fly a kite. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to use me. <laughs> um, but your email was not like that. Your email was very sincere. And, and I, 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 
I felt the sincerity in it and, and, uh, and I liked you. I still like you, by the way. Brian, you keep doing the great work that you're doing. I'm very proud of you. It's a very, it's a great honor to have you here. I know everybody here is just, you, you knock their socks off. Guys, if you have questions for me, um, you can find me on the internet. You can find me. I you, you, you just Google. You'll find you'll find a way of reaching me, or reach out to Bar, uh, to to Brian. Tracy, um, uh, I don't know if you saw or not in the chat. Uh, Brad, Brad saw your TED talk. <laughs> Somebody oh, else. He, and and Brad's only Brad's only been following me for like two weeks. Well, but I didn't see it live. I hope you didn't think I meant live, but uh, I had a friend from Alcoholics Anonymous, and then when you said you did a TED Talk, I'm like, oh my God, and I just looked it up, and it was what he sent me, like, I don't know, a year ago, something like that? I'm sure Very he had done it before. Thrilled, so. Yeah. All right, so cool. I'll shut up now. So cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I hope you got something out of it. Absolutely. It was amazing. She's Thank trying you. to get me to do one of these TED Talks. I, I keep... Mm -hmm. You absolutely you need to. You I don't know. I don't know. Your message needs to be out there. That's for sure. We had like a three-hour conversation the other day. She's like, "Do do a TED talk." So, if I know that if I if I want to do one, Tracy will hook me up. Definitely. Go ahead, Carly. It's your floor. Honestly, I'm not even sure what you want me to say. I mean, I was so messed up and so drunk. And so, well, you know, I thought, I thought no, that no, no, no. back when we last talked, back when we last talked, when I was in your course, the difference of where I was then versus now is almost, oh, it makes me, it makes me like stop in my tracks. Do, do you mind if I share with everybody how we, no. uh, ended Listen, our oh, let it all go. You got to let it all out there. All right. So, uh, Carly was in the second <laughs> live course and uh, she bailed on the last i think it was the next to the last day she bailed. it was the last night it was on the very last night yep okay amy, amy was there so she's saying yes uh, so very last night we got onto a topic she she had a perspective about something i shared my perspective about that thing and it was done she was gone and i i i love you still carly i never brian never, brian, never gave up hope on you at all <laughs> Anyway, I, I just want you to know, Carly, I, I've never had any negative thoughts about you. I, listen, I, I've been through that process. Listen, it's and mutual. Like I, said, I mean, it, I didn't just. <laughs> there's lots of my, positive things my, about my you. My habit was not just to leave a room, it was to knock something down on my way out. So you didn't and do that. You, you, you didn't do no, that. Carly was saying earlier in the chat, like if Brian hasn't pissed you off at some point, then it's not being done right. Well, and you know, Kelly and I've had these conversations ever since the class, and I know for a fact that she's not offended because you did piss her off a lot of times, and she took it and she grew and she learned from it and she accepted it and then it. she made the changes. There's no hard. I believe it. There isn't. I believe it because Carly, Carly is a tough son of a bitch. I'll tell you. No joke. And the Jersey blood, man. <laughs> Yeah, I know Jersey girls, and they're good in the sack. Let me tell you that. Jersey <laughs> girls I, listen, are good in the sack. Of that. In all seriousness, it, it's not about getting upset. Uh, and, you know, we can joke about me pissing people off. It, it, that is kind of funny. But, you know, the thing is, is that if you go so so far with me, and I haven't said anything that's rocked the boat, there probably is something wrong. I probably do need to be rocking the boat because it's the, the whole job is escaping comfort and going into discomfort, escaping things that we're used to thinking and being challenged uh, about those ways of thinking. Right. So anyway, I just want you to know, Car this is the first time Carly and I have talked since, since that class. I'll, I'll be honest. Nice. I saw her come in today. Not spoken. I said, who is this? And she said, it's Carly. And I was, my heart just, it leapt because I was so happy to see her. Take it away, Carly. You know, Tracy probably is the one you're going to get a lot of good things from because you and her have experienced many similar things. I can tell. I don't, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's kind of hard. Like I, 
I don't I don't even know what to say. Um, because I'm I'm in a place now where I I've let so many things go that I have nothing to sit here and bitch about because I'm living in the now. I'm here. What do you want to know, Brian? Ask me and I'll update you. But I mean, are you still with your boyfriend? No. All right. So he was he was beating on you. Yep. He was abusive. Yep. Um, there were some concerns about your life stability. You felt you yes. kind of felt like you had to endure it because you have a, a child. And um, I know that yes. was a big deal for you, uh, but you're doing OK. Doing really good. Because, you know, here's the thing, Brian. This is what stuck with me uh, above all else of, of the things you said to me. And I, I, I can't I can't remember if this was privately or in class, it, I, but it doesn't matter. You said it's going to feel like you're you're just falling off a cliff, as you say, like mm-hmm. Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Go. Everything's just going to end. But once you finally let go, you're going to realize you're only going to fall six inches. Brian, I only fell six inches, and I felt so ridiculous. I felt so ridiculous because I was like, damn it, he was right. It's like when I you're right. I hate I being right, but, you know, it, but truly, that is how it felt for me. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I look at, and you, and, you know, forgive me, ladies, I, I look at the guys because we, we, we have this kind of pride that is – it's a it's a masculine pride. I hate to say it, but I, I don't think you you girls can totally totally understand. It, it is a pride that it's like we need to be we need to be better than you, but not not because we want to be better than you, but because we want to be better than you for you. We want to be better than girls for them, mm. not 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 just to be better than them. We we want to be able to give them better than anything and uh, I remember thinking um, when I was going through my own recovery yeah I can't I cannot be weak I can't let go I can't surrender in anything even if I'm wrong I can't surrender because I'll fall a thousand feet to my death and I felt like a man dangling off the the very end of a rope off the edge of a precipice and when I looked down, all I could see w- was a haze. I could only see cloud. And it had to be my way. I know the way. It's I've got to do this through f- pure force of will. And I tried it that way for 35, 38 years. And finally, my grip was starting to weaken. And I looked down, and below my feet was only cloud. And I was terrified. It's got to be my way. I know the way. I've got to just barge my way through this. But I can't hold on much longer. And then finally, when I let go of the very, uh, very bottom of that rope, I dropped like this far. Yeah. And below the cloud was solid ground. And I realized how stupid I was <laughs> that, that the terror and the, the, the terror of surrender for all those years that this, that I was going to die. It was going to be the end of my life was so foolish. The ground was right there all the time. And if I had just let go, I would have known if I had let go I would have known and then I could have approached life differently knowing that the ground is there. <laughs> that's, that is exactly the way it was. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Carly. That's, that's exactly the way I felt. And the thing I've been working on the past couple of months since I did have to let go and figure out the ground was only right there. Letting go and accepting that. Yeah. Yeah. I could sit around thinking about where I should have been, would have, could have, should have, had I realized this sooner, but I'm right here. I'm right now. Everything I care about is right here and right now. Well, Carly, you are the poster child for anybody who might think that I think negative things about people. 
when they get angry at me or, or whatever. I don't, I was the lost cause. I was the lost cause. I, I lost everything. Lost all my friends, lost my wife, lost my house, lost my dog. <laughs> Sound like a country song, doesn't it? Lost everything. But for real, I lost everything. Not, not like a country song. It's just kind of charming. I really lost all those things. And it wasn't definitive of who I am. It was, it was a process for me to discover who I am. So, uh, Eve, you know, you, I know you've expressed a lot of disappointment in yourself. Well, nobody who's ever gone through that themselves looks at you and goes, wow, what a loser. It's the process. We say there's a champion. She's on her way to the, the crown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what a process is. And, you know, I often talk about how nobody has to be satisfied with anything about you except for you. Well, hopefully along this process, you're, you're getting to see why that's true. You're going to lose a lot of people along the way. And that's all right. They can't understand. And they don't matter. You know how I learned that, Brian? Spending about three months in solitude. In abject poverty. With nothing. Having lost everything. And have to dig my way out and crawl my way out and survive only yeah. because of me. Yeah, there's some humiliation along the way. I don't I don't yeah. I don't, oh, uh, yeah. I don't oh, want you to believe yeah. there's no humiliation along the way. There is, man. Oh yeah. Goodness gracious, I I went through some humiliation. Where are you at, Carly, in on Earth, on planet Earth? Or are you on, on planet Earth? You're not on planet Earth. There's no way happened. that Carly is on planet Earth. You're all like on Neptune or something. On the moon. I know that. I live on the moon, um, but my soul is on the moon anyway. What part? Uh, sea of <laughs> Tranquility? <laughs> Definitely. They would not have named it the Sea of Tranquility if you lived there. I know that. No, more like chaos and sex all the time. Uh, <laughs> Terrible. <but> Terrible stuff. <laughs> no, really, whereabouts on, uh, are you in on Earth? Still in, uh, still in North Carolina. North Carolina, okay. So you're in, in the Carolinas. Yeah. What uh, grocery store you got down there? You know, it's Harris Teeter and Food Lion. and. No, I don't know that. Do you have any yeah, Piggly yeah. Wigglies? Well, the Piggly Wigglies you got to cross the border for. I'm going to South Carolina. The Piggly Wigglies are in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I have Piggly Wigglies. I grew up with Piggly Wigglies. I don't shop at Piggly Wiggly because the prices are higher than... No, Piggly. I go to Food Lion because Food Lion is the cheapest, but Harris Teeter is probably the one that's everywhere. Hmm. Darren, you got any Piggly Wigglies down where you are? No, there's none of that. No like Piggly Dollar Wigglies? General, Dollar General, Dollar Store, stuff like that. I thought Piggly That's Wiggly all West, like West Coast stuff. Like West What's Coast. that, Amy? I thought Piggly Wiggly was like a fake thing that people... No, know. no, that's a real thing. No, it's very real. It's I have a Piggly real. Wiggly right down the road. Well, yeah, shit, there's a Piggly Wiggly though. right down the road. No way. Yeah, I mean... When I was growing up, we used to take our bottles, like we used to collect bottles and take them down to Piggly Wiggly to get like 10 cents a bottle for the, from the Piggly Wiggly. I thought that's something that people just said when they were like making fun of rednecks. No, they, they reference Piggly Wiggly in the, very real in the movie, oh, I need to go Bro- in the movie, old brother, where art thou? They talk about Piggly Wiggly. No, just Google Piggly Wiggly and go to images and you'll see the, the pig logo and everything and the, the text. And the it's, an a, it's an Appalachian thing. It's not just a Southern thing. It's an Appalachian thing. It's, yeah, it's uh, all over. You have no idea what we're talking about, do you? Piggly Wiggly. I'm unmuting myself. Um, actually, <laughs> you wouldn't believe this, but I grew up, uh, well, I spent a couple of years in a really indescript suburb in Sydney and there was a convenience store and it was called Pig- Piggly Wiggly. No way. <laughs> oh my goodness. On the, well, she's actually, down under. 
<laughs> who would, who would and she it? knows Piggly Wiggly. Holy mackerel. <laughs> Tracy's laughing. I know she's never been to Piggly Wiggly. No, Tracy's she's been probably to, been to a shop right, maybe. Probably. Yeah, she yeah. knows shop right. Mm. Now, I will tell you that there was a. Uh, you guys have heard of um, Sam's Club, right? Yeah. Well, in Philadelphia, there was a store. You've never heard of uh, Sam's Club, Eve? So this is a wholesale. Yeah, it's a wholesale place. So it's where you go to buy bulk, right? So you don't just go to Sam's Club to buy a roll of toilet paper. You you go to buy like fifty rolls of toilet paper, and you get a you get a reduced price based on the the quantity. So you don't go you don't go to Sam's Club to buy a cup a can of coffee. You go to buy, I don't know. I've never shopped there, but basically a Amy, case of coffee. <laughs> right. You you buy like a pallet of coffee. It's it's just it's it's in bulk. So the idea is that the more of it you buy, you get a better price for buying it in bulk. Well, in Philadelphia, the place where everybody went was called BJ's. You were just I told my days. wife, like, I cannot believe oh, we're driving down the road and there's a store with a big freaking <laughs> sign that says BJ's. How can anybody take that seriously? Eve, you're not getting this, are you? I'm playing along. It's all right. <laughs> well, for me, BJ's means blowjob. They've got this whole thing with signs and everything called blowjobs. <laughs> Everywhere you drive, hey, blowjobs. Hey, let's go shop at blowjobs. And their logo is a check. <laughs> I know. I just couldn't believe it. How can anybody take this place seriously? But that's that's Philadelphia for you. Do you know the messed up part? They're in North Carolina, too. They're in Fayetteville, and they You are. have BJ's down there. You know how I know? I know because my ex worked for them, and that's where he met his mistress at getting those BJ's. Why does that not surprise me? Yeah, right. 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 He didn't get her from no BJ's. <laughs> Listen, he just never knew what he was missing out on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'm going to stop recording this, all right? Um, we lost Abby. Uh, man, I'm, I'm really burnt about that because I wanted her to be featured on the on the show. But We haven't heard from Amy, all right? I was about to say the same thing. All right, Amy. Let's have it. Do you have your finger in the pulse, pulsinator so we can tell if you're lying or not? I guess. How did you how did you first learn about the last symptom? By accident. I, I mean, I guess it's not really too much information because I'm a very blunt person and whatever you see is what you get. But I was in the bathtub and it was Mother's Day and I made a promise that I wasn't going to have another shitty Mother's Day because my whole life basically I just walked around feeling like a bag of ass all the time and unhappy and never knew why and I just decided one day to check out some podcasts to see if I could find something that made any sense and by sheer accident I found the last symptom and listened to one podcast and then just broke down in tears do you remember what episode you listened to? It was episode number one, season one, episode one. Really? And, um, but the one that made me cry was the one about anger and being locked with yourself in a room day after day and you can't oh, get yeah. away from yourself. Mm -hmm. That's oh, the one yeah. that really like hit the nail on the head. And I'm 39 years old and for the first time, I finally found somebody who understood me because up to that day, I had never met anybody who thought like I did or could understand like what I was going through. And mostly the tears were of joy because I feel like I had an ally and some direction in my life and I'm religious and I felt with every fiber of my being that God led me to Brian. Like he is my mentor. He is my life coach. And 
he is yeah, on I don't know about that. I haven't been doing a lot of things that God would approve of, but <laughs> like, that's okay, me too. But you know, um, that's beside the point. Um, I'm I'm a mom. I've been married for 16 years. I've got three kids. I'm what I would consider extremely high functioning. Like anyone just looking into my life or being around me would never guess that I have an emotional disorder. They would never know. And I attribute that to my upbringing being so religious and being somewhat brainwashed in my opinion um, into believing certain things and having things to be a certain way. Uh, A lot of the things I did were mostly out of fear not just of god but of my parents because yes like i was their world and they well, loved can me I, can I, can yeah. I interrupt you for a second yeah um here's the thing that uh I, I started to mention with darren a little bit earlier ago so here was the thing i said about denial it's our feelings outright rejected or rebelling against the reality and then i chose this wording very carefully I don't want that to be true. Think think about the situations where that might be applicable. Um, Somebody's died. I I don't want that to be true. My parents are abusive. I don't want that to be true. My parents don't love me. That's not, I don't want that to be true. How about this one? It can't be true. Um, That's impossible. Impossible that my mother who treats me so tenderly could at the same time be giving me um, messages of that, that I'm worthless. Well, it is possible. How about this? I'm not allowed to believe that is true. Where do you think that applies? That applies to you have inherent value. And a lot of people going through recovery, they fight against that. No, no, no. Everything I understand about reality says that I can't just have, I can't can't just have value because I'm me. Mm -hmm. That that can't be true. I have to do something. I have to do something if I'm going to have value. Mm -hmm. So I, I picked that wording very carefully. I'm not allowed to believe that's true. So you hear Brian Barnett saying, listen, Amy, Eve, Darren, you just do have value. I'm I'm telling you the truth. And your inner self says, no, 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 no. That goes against everything I've ever, that goes against everything I've ever perceived the world to be. I can't just have value for being me. I have to do something. And then I can have value. Yep. Right. So yep. anyway, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I meant to mention that earlier when Darren was talking, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to. So uh, go yep. ahead. I was at church and they taught us very young at church how to like bear our testimony in primary and talk about our faith and beliefs and stuff like up at a little podium in front of the other kids. And that morning I had had an argument with my mom because there were these cute little white shoes that I wanted to wear and it was it was like November I think and she just let loose on me about how I couldn't wear the white shoes because it was after Labor Day and that that's ridiculous and nobody does that and I'm like I just like the shoes like and she like yelled at me and screamed and explained that you can't wear anything white after Labor Day and very much a perfectionist i was Mm -hmm. always raised that everything had to be perfect my face my clothes my hair my appearance was top of the line of importance and i just remember crying and just really wanting to wear the shoes and she wouldn't let me so when it was my turn to go up in front of all these kids at church i just said i hate my mom and sat down And of course, word got back to her immediately 
about what mm-hmm. happened. And then she reamed my ass about that for years because it hurt her feelings so badly. But obviously I was trying to express something very real that yeah. was very wrong with the situation. But as a kid, you don't know how to do that appropriately. And it was from that time on that I realized the things that she was teaching me and saying to me were not true and that she couldn't be trusted. Um, That a lot of stuff was her own opinion, but it wasn't fact. But as my parent, I was supposed to trust what she was saying. So there was conflict there. Yeah. And then I realized I can't trust what she's saying most of the time because I don't know if it's real. How old Um, were you? Huh? How old were you at that time? I was eight at that time. Um, can I ask Eve? Eve, what what are you thinking? I'm just listening. Yeah. I'm just. Yeah. What are you just thinking? Different. While she's saying these things, what do you think? Because I'm watching like your uh, reactions and stuff. Okay. Uh, and, and you seem to be like tuned into this. It's just making me remember my parenting as well. That's all you're seeing. Um, that's all. But thank you for asking. Sure. Um, so I guess kind of from about when I was eight on, I had made a promise to myself that I didn't want to be anything like my mom. Um, yeah. I wanted to basically be the opposite of her because she annoyed me. She upset me. I didn't trust her. And I told myself I was never going to be that to my children someday. And boy, I've worked hard to not be like her. And she's still in my life, but I've got boundaries all over the place because I am not at a place where I can confront her about this and tell her that she's the root of the problem that I have to fix. That's, that may never happen, but good. Can I, okay. can I interrupt you there for a second, yeah. Amy? Um, yeah. You know, th- that's another thing uh, I probably don't talk enough about is that once you realize it, once you realize what the nature of that whole thing is, you're, you're not obligated to do it in a year. You're not, you're not obligated to do it in five years. Mm-hmm. You're not obligated to do it ever. Uh, you do it when you're comfortable doing it mm-hmm. not when she's ready not when everybody else says well enough time has passed it's you know you should do it that mm-hmm. right it's, yeah it's, there was um you know, it, it, recovery really is it's reclaiming our lives and that's not selfish when you when you have grown up in an unhealthy environment, those unhealthy people will try to make you think that everything you want to do in the interest of emotional health is is selfish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let let them believe that. Yeah. Anything you do in the interest of your emotional health, however you feel like it has to be done, mm-hmm. is not selfish. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's just the way it's got to go. I've, I've been trying for years to establish a good relationship with her despite our differences. And there were times earlier on in my marriage that I, I express myself better through writing, I feel, than I do speaking. I often just speak right off the cuff without really thinking things through. So I do much You're, you're a good writer. I, you're good. Yeah. I've, I've seen your writing. Yeah, yeah. You're a good writer. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I use poetry. I yes. use lyrics or whatever I need. Three times I sent her emails, very well written, in my opinion, expressing my feelings and how the things that she said and did affected me and coming from a very loving place. And I got literally zero response. Nothing. It was as if it never happened. I said, did you get my emails? Yes, I got them. And that was the end of that. So that told me right away that she's not interested in changing anything. And then about two years after that, she 
shared with me that she's had three different doctors over the years tell her that she needs to see a psychologist um, and get some professional help. And she's totally in denial about that. She thinks all three doctors have lost their minds and don't know what they're talking about. So to me, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. It's not my job. Right. It's not my business. And I don't care at this point. Like I, I'm doing me. She can do her. You don't want anything to do with it. That's right. I just, well, it's not going to be worth is. my yeah. time. You know, like it's going to be more hurtful to me than helpful at this point. Um, I hope someday it can be better, but right now I have too much to focus on for myself to worry about her. That's correct. Like I told you, I found Brian <clears throat> at the beginning of May. I have listened to every podcast three times and I am going through the course for the second time. First time was live and now personal study. I think I'm on chapter <laughs> 17. 